Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital. We're a registered investment advisory firm committed to helping clients grow and manage generational wealth. We do this by focusing on integrity, competency, and transparency each and every day. No matter where you find yourself on the investing journey, our hope is that these conversations, stories, and interviews can empower and equip all investors with fresh insight and perspective on the capital markets. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, it's great to be with you guys this week. I hope you're all having a great week so far. Today, we're going to sit down for a conversation centered around a topic that we visited about in the past with other families and individuals, and that's the concept of stewarding generational wealth. Today, we're honored to sit down with two members of the Dillingham family, Chad Dillingham and Lucas Dillingham. Their business, Dillingham Insurance, has been around for, I believe, 96 years now. <laughs> Started back in 1927. They can actually trace their roots back to 1889, but they are a fourth-generation family-owned business headquartered right up the street here in Enid, Oklahoma. They offer everything from business insurance products, group benefits, personal insurance products, and even some human resource services. They were just incredible to sit down with and talk to Chad and Lucas. We really, again, just thank you for your time and your willingness to open up and share about your family's history and the journey and how you have maintained these relationships over four generations. It's quite incredible. So to our listeners, I know you really enjoy this conversation. Kyle Ray, one of Full Sail Capital's advisors, joins me today. He's got a relationship with Chad and Lucas. So he sits down in studio with me and helps guide this conversation. I'm really not going to dive too much into the background. They do a great job of really giving you guys an idea of what they do and how they do it and in some history of the company. So if you'd like any more information on Dillingham Insurance and what they do and maybe what they could provide or what they could do for you if you're out there and uh, you're interested, please let me know. Again, at the end of the day, we just love connecting good people with good people. So have a great rest of the week. If there's anything we can do for you here at Full Sail Capital, never hesitate to reach out. Here's my conversation with Chad and Lucas. I hope you'll enjoy. Chad and Lucas, I really appreciate you joining Kyle and I today. Thank you so much for making the time for us coming into the office and being with us this morning. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It's our pleasure to be here. I'm excited about this. So, Likewise. We appreciate it. Before we get too far into conversation, because there's a couple of different avenues I want to go down here, give us a little bit of background on yourselves, if you don't mind, and then let's do some background on Dillingham from your family, but also tying in the Dillingham insurance story. I know that's a really big asking question, but if you don't mind, let's go back to the beginning. When did Dillingham start? Or if it's easier to lay out your family demographic at that point, let me know. But I'd love just the background on the, the who, what, where, and why of Dillingham, the family, and the business. Sure. That's great. Maybe start first myself and then turn it to Lucas and then just on our personal situation. Okay. And then we can go backwards to the, the beginning of Dillingham Insurance and the various family experiments and enterprises over the years. So I have just celebrated my double nickel birthday, 55, okay. and married to my wife, Lisa, for 30 of those years. And we have three children, Lucas being our oldest, and his sister, Hannah, lives here in Oklahoma City, works outside of the family business. She was the only smart one that escaped. She's also <laughs> the only one who went off the reservation and went to OU instead of Oklahoma State. So we won't talk about Hannah anymore today. Well, I also <laughs> went off the reservation and went to Kansas University. Uh, I can stomach a Jayhawk a little better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then our youngest son, Price, just graduated from Oklahoma State about a year ago. And he'd interned with our company between his junior and senior year, really enjoyed that and joined us a year ago this past May and is doing a great job. He's in Enid in the property and casualty side of our business as Luke. Lucas and I are. And so that's a little bit about the family and okay. from my perspective. So Lucas? 
Yeah, Lucas Dillingham. I am just celebrated my six-year anniversary with the company, so it's time's flown. But I began my career over in London working for a North American property and casualty program focused on the agriculture industry within the United States. And so that was a fun way to get wow. to cut my teeth in sure. the industry. And about five years ago, I moved back and joined the family business. And it's been an absolute blast and fun. But I just got married this last May. And Congratulations. so just starting, I appreciate it. Just starting that new journey in life. And so far, so good. So far, so good. She hadn't gotten tired of me yet. Yeah, he chose wisely from my wife and I's perspective. We just love Shelby to death. That's key. Yeah. That's awesome. And you both live in Enid. We both live in Enid. Which is where Dillingham Insurance began. It's where it began and where it is headquartered. Like we mentioned off air that, Lucas, you are the fourth generation or part of the fourth generation that's now involved. So let's back up to the first and give us the, the history there. For sure. Actually, I'll take it even a step further back than that to start. My great-grandfather, whom I did not have the pleasure and honor of knowing, was uh, the first pioneer in our family in, into the insurance business that we know of and has a distinct pleasure as in 1889, uh, sold the first insurance policy. And at that time, what was a Cherokee Strip to a fellow by the name of C.L. Nash, who the town of Nash, Oklahoma is uh, named after. And we've got a great picture of the two of them executing on the policy documents. So that's kind of fun. Our heritage goes back in insurance that we know of to 1889. But our founder of our company, Tom Dillingham, founded the company in 1927, which if you think about the time frame was a <laughs> tough time to be starting a, a business. He was married to my grandmother, obviously, at the time, and they had just moved from St. Petersburg, Florida, where they had been for about 10 years. He was really interested in the real estate business and started small with some small commercial real estate and would leverage that into a little bigger deal, and they kept parlaying that well. The, the Great Depression and bust of things started a little sooner down in that area, in that part of the country, and he went bankrupt. And he and my grandmother took on any job they could to save money to come back to Oklahoma. And they worked in a, a dry cleaning and alterations business. And my grandmother washed and cleaned and pressed clothes, and my granddad altered clothes. And he had no experience in that whatsoever and had quite a few folks that came in that seems had come loose and this, that, and the other, but they scratched up enough money to come back and get back to Oklahoma where most of their family was at that time. And he got into insurance by accident. He responded to a need that St. Paul Insurance Company had for a field adjuster. The casualty insurance business, which is your general liability, auto liability, those types of things, was really just coming into its birth. Okay. Everything was property insurance up to that point. And most of the property in Enid, Northwest Oklahoma, was already insured at that point in time with others who had gotten into the business. And so he decided to specialize in the casualty end of things and went to work for St. Paul Insurance Company as a field adjuster going out and adjusting auto accidents and combined accidents and you name it. And really, that's how he developed his expertise and built his business over time and founded our agency in 1927. We're in our 96th year this year and have been incredibly blessed along the way. But a lot of the core things that founded fundamentally the business and the drive and the focus is still with us today with regards to we still focus on primarily privately held, but we do have clients that are in the publicly traded okay. space that are more casualty driven, challenging businesses from an operation standpoint. That's not to say we don't handle on the property and casualty side and just as proudly mom and pop 
corner stores, retail, farming, ranching, but really our core client is a mid to larger size business that has quite a bit of moving parts to it that we can really get in and get creative and give advice to. And that's really been our core focus up until about 21 years ago. And 21 years ago, a lot of our clients that had grown and had needs in the group benefits space really were pushing us to get into that space to provide a better solution for them. We uh, pushed back and kicked and screamed for a bit because it's just a totally different business. We did not have expertise in that, but we started doing a search and we're really blessed to cross paths with a gentleman by the name of Jason Williford. I don't know if you all have ever crossed paths with Jason, but he started our group benefits division 21 years ago. And today that represents about 35% of our overall revenue. It's a very important, critical part of our business and really serves our core clients on that aspect of their need. And Jason has the aging. When you start looking about, I'm in the third generation along with my brother, Jed, who's seven years my senior. And then you go to John, who's the first of the fourth generation. Right. And then Lucas and Price. And there's a good spread of age, but there was a pretty good gap between myself and John. And we didn't really design it this way. It just happened this way. But Jason, as he really built our business, and really grew a perfect match for our culture and family beliefs and core values. And it made sense. I had been under my stewardship about 25 years as president, CEO, and I started that at a relatively young age and could really see where the business was growing and where my personal consulting clients were at and my desire to mentor some of our younger team members coming on for me to step back and hand the baton off. And Jason really had a desire and aptitude to take that. So Jason really is our first outside family leader of our company as our current president CEO. He's about a year and a half into that, just knocking it out of the park, doing a great job. Couldn't be prouder of him and having his involvement. Going backwards now, going back to uh, about 19, probably 47, my uncle Tom Jr. and then my father a few years later in 1955 joined the family business and as a second generation. Okay. They were really from an early age, highly engaged in insurance operations. At that time, our family also had a ranching operation in Colorado, in the Trinidad, Colorado area, which is a whole nother interesting story that if we have time, remind me, we'll come back to because it just speaks to the entrepreneurial spirit of our founder. And Tom and dad both were very close, not only as brothers, but also as business partners. They had the pleasure of working with alongside their dad for a good number of years. He did pass away prematurely at the age of 65. I never had the opportunity to know him. He passed away about six months after I was born. My father and uncle really had an opportunity to learn from him, continuing on that entrepreneurial spirit and got into quite a few other things besides just the insurance that we can also delve into later if time allows. But they took the ball and ran with it and really continued to grow the company And until Jed came into the business, which would have been 1983. And then I joined in 1990 after graduating from college and working for an insurance company in Kansas City for a period of time. I was really kind of as a sidebar interested in the real estate business and worked for a real estate developer through college and thought that's the direction I was going to go. And fortunately, fate took me in a a different direction. And so uh, I've never looked back, really been blessed with that. And Jed and I are the third generation. You know, it's the first generation starts it, second generation builds it, and the third generation squanders it typically. And Yeah, there's some pressure on you too. Yeah, so we've really uh, been... uh, 
uh, taking that stewardship seriously and over our 37 and 30 year careers, or actually almost 40 and 33 now. And then about 10 years ago, we're really proud that John and Lucas and then Price had not only the interest, but we had the need and they're jumping right in and running with it and really optimistic about seeing if that path forward to continue this well into the fourth generation and hopefully beyond. Lucas, first of all, Chad, thank you for all the, the background. That really helps. And I think it's fascinating to see how each generation got involved. And I do want to sidebar back into that Colorado ranching operation. So we're going to get to that. But Lucas, as you have been involved now, you said six years with you, John, and then in Price, I know it's fairly new. Was it something you knew off the bat you wanted to get into? I know you said you were over in London, but what was the enticing pull to go work for the family business? I just think as a fourth generation, that is when you start to get the feel of I'm out. I don't want to do this. What was the draw there? to come back and work for the family business. Yeah. So just a a really quick story. And I think I've shared this with Kyle before, but I was in my junior year over at Oklahoma State and my parents call me about a month into the semester and say, we've seen your schedule and you don't have a lot going on this semester. So we'd really appreciate it and think you really need to find a job or an internship to fill some of that time. And so I started looking and getting on our campus portal and found an internship with a personal lines insurance agency there. And while I had a great time and was one of, I think, eight that actually finished the internship, I remember calling my dad at the end of it and saying, while I I appreciate the livelihood that you've uh, provided me growing up and the business that you've built, I don't think this is something that I want to do. And was really interested in banking and real estate at the time and was going to pursue that. I just remember him saying, I appreciate that. I think you ought to take a deeper dive into to what we do on the commercial side of things and had the opportunity to go over and intern over in London between my junior and senior year and just loved the complexity of the commercial insurance world and the problem and puzzle solving that it really is. And so at that point, I knew that it was something that I wanted to do and come back and join them. Well, good thing at that point that the dad didn't say, all right, well, you know, if a junior in college, that's your decision. So don't come, don't come Have crying fun. back. <laughs> We think it's important, and and just as my father did with us, and I'm sure his with he and his brother, it's it's a real honor and privilege when you're able to step into something that has a good solid foundation and good principles and values and track record and name. But there's also a lot of burden that goes with that. It shouldn't be a birthright. It should be something that there is one strong passion and desire, and then there needs to be a need on the business side of things. And the aptitude obviously has to fit. And so we've just been really fortunate that, one, the business has continued to grow, has the need, that our kids have had the interest that have come in, and that they've had the aptitude to really continue to carry it forward. And that's not always the case. And there may and likely will be a point in time at some venture in the history where it just doesn't make sense to continue it and perpetuate it. Chad, how have you balanced working with family over the years and then also growing the company from an employee base and trying to merge those two together to where it's not just all family involved in the business. You have outside employees. You've got a gentleman now running the firm or in charge or overseeing it that is not a family member. And so how has that dynamic been? Maybe for both of you, you as the elder, you as his elder, and then Lucas as somebody who is reporting or working underneath a non-family member. I just think that dynamic is something that gets brought up a lot. And it clearly sounds like it's being managed well at this point. You know, I've got to kind of go back to my father and uncle who really had, and probably I'm sure from their father, the balance down pretty well of managing father, son, 
father-daughter relationships and dynamics and also holding people accountable to doing their job and staying focused and We've just been really lucky. I've seen situations where it can be a real curse. And in our case, it's just been a real blessing and it's been a lot of fun. We've been able to fight a lot of battles. We've been through challenging times, which I think actually give you a lot more grit and determination and appreciation for things. And we've gotten back to back when we need to. But our father, with my brother Jed and I, really at a pretty early age and fairly early into our career, even though he was going into his prime. And I didn't really have the appreciation for this at the time. And I can't even imagine how hard it was for him at the time. And I'm now starting to see a little (laughs) bit of that on our side of things as we transition more and more into the fourth generation. But he set Jed and I down at a fairly early age, probably about 10 years into my career. And it would have been closer to 17 years into Jed's career and and said, look, this is your future, your company. And you're going to have to figure out who's going to do what, who's going to play what roles look at one another's strengths and weaknesses and where your desires are at, where you really enjoy spending time, where you don't, be honest with one another and sit down and, and figure it out. And he really left it to us to do that. Fortunately, we have a lot of respect for one another. We have we consider each other not only brothers and partners, but great friends. And we do have distinctly different talents, strengths, weaknesses. That doesn't mean that there's not overlap. But so we've really designed our roles around our interests and those strengths and weaknesses. And now we're trying to do the same as we start transitioning. And and our father also was very gracious. We had other family assets and events. And as there was more of my father's family, as far as my brother and I coming into the business and really none of his children at that point in time were involved in wanting to continue on the business. We had one of my cousins who was a key player, but as she started her own family and stuff was really more interested in taking that track and not continuing her professional career. And, And we had a drilling company at the time that my other brother, Peter, who is a petroleum engineer from Colorado School of Mines, and my uncle was really more interested in the drilling operations at that time and gravitated into that. And so we started doing some dividing of family assets to start charting the course for the next generation. And dad was really gracious with Jed and I on that side of it, the insurance side that we took the track on to give us a 20, 25 year runway, really probably a below market value. Well, it was below market value and financed it for us and gave us plenty of time to make that work. I'm sure there were many times that we stubbed our toe and bloodied our nose that he wanted to jump in and say something or save us from mistakes that he already had made. And he was really good about being patient and giving us guidance and advice when we asked for it, but not trying to jump in and head us off at the pass. He let us bloody our nose a little bit. Yeah. Lucas, on your side, being that fourth generation that's involved in the family business, what's it been like over those last six years? Do you feel like you're some of the same things your dad's saying? Do you feel like you're starting to see and feel that as well? And hey, this is your business as well. Like we want you to take some ownership and and go go grow it and, and run with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the 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 grace and the the foresight that his father and uncle had with he and Jed is definitely being exemplified with the fourth generation as well. And really, I think for us, the biggest thing is we're cutting our teeth and learning and making mistakes instead of cutting your hand off and jumping in. They, they've been gracious with us and patient and allowed us to learn and make those mistakes because uh, we're all human and we're young learning. There's going to be 
times that that just happens. It's part of life. And so it's been great. But I think the communication part of it has been really key for us as well as we move forward. As family members, sometimes I think we can just assume we know what other one's thinking and just expect them to know what to do. You can't read your dad's mind yet? Well, sometimes. Sometimes, but no, not all the time. Yeah. And they've been very gracious in communicating with us and laying it out as to what their expectations are and helping us achieve those goals. And so it's been fun. I've been really proud of them. And going back to when they were sitting in our chairs and starting their careers as owners and helping with the direction of the company, we're in a totally different spot from where we were at that point, very fortunately so. From a company standpoint. From a company mean, standpoint, right, yeah. correct. And Chad and Jed grew up wearing all the hats from an executive level. And it's been fun and challenging for us to try to help wrap our hands around that. We now have a lot of great team members that are in charge of the different divisions and helping operate that and have taken a lot of the load off of Chad and Jed and the others. And so it's been fun. The dynamics are still phenomenal and we're extremely blessed from that standpoint. And we're really excited about the future. Awesome. That's great. I'm curious. I have a quick follow-up question here. Now that, Lucas, you've been in the business for six years and you got family members that have been, your immediate family members that have been in a little longer, are you kind of figuring out what your strengths and weaknesses are versus your brother, cousin, all that? Are you figuring out what works, what doesn't work and molding each other into what you want to do and see where you want to go going forward, just as your dad did with his brother? Yeah, absolutely. I think that while John and I have really operated in two totally different sides of the business with the benefits and property cash side. I don't pretend to know the ins and outs of what they do on a daily basis and, and vice versa with him. We're really just now getting into learning more of the operational side of things and being able to peel back the curtain more or less on how the juice is squeezed on the company side. And we're still very early on in that, but it's been very fun for us and gracious that they've allowed us the opportunity to learn more on that side of things. You know, Lucas brings up a good point in that the business has grown. I mean, we're still a relatively small company, but it's grown dramatically since Jed and I came into the business. And so where it used to be, you could be chief cook, bottle washer and everything in between. That's just not practical anymore. So uh, we've been really fortunate to attract a lot of good talent outside of the family that has been absolutely and remains absolutely critical to our growth and success with our customers and our customer needs. But it makes it harder, I think, for this next generation to really have their arms around everything and uh, be involved. And I think they're doing a great job. We've got some of our team members, like for example, our CFO was a client of ours at one time. Oh, really? He came from the Cargill <laughs> side of things and Cargill did a joint venture with another client of ours. And he experienced us from a client perspective. And then when Cargill and the Allen and McLaughlin family sold that asset, that he was involved with. He was looking for his next chapter and we had a need. Our CFO of 28 years at that point in time was ready to slow down. And we were actually a second career of his. His first was in the Air Force and he's joined us and he's been phenomenal at really helping us go to the next level where we needed to from our financial operations, but then also really sharing that knowledge with Lucas and John and Price and helping coach and mentor them and 
So it's been great. That's just one example of several that we've had. I continue to be amazed how a small little company out of Enid, Oklahoma can attract some of the talent that we've been able to. It's just really rewarding and a blessing and humbling. Well, I mean, in my opinion, good people want to work with good people. And so I think it speaks to the culture you've clearly built over the past 96 years and have continued to maintain. You guys have continued to bring up something which is communication. And when we've had these entrepreneur conversations, stewarding generational wealth conversations, that seems to be a key. And I think if, not to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like the way that everything's been communicated, the way it was communicated to Chad, to you and Jed, and then the way it's been communicated to Lucas, you and your peers and your cousins, it sounds like it's been a, here's the expectations. Nothing's going to be handed out. Here's what the company stands for and what we believe. And these are the core values. And it seems that's been so important. If everything else gets lost, it's understanding this is why the company's created. These are the values we hold, hold near to our heart. That seems to be the key. I think in my opinion from my seat when we've talked to individuals and companies, it's when the vision gets lost or the why gets lost, that's when you tend to fall apart. Agree, disagree, makes sense? Totally agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And a good example of that, and I'll give you and and Jason Wolford kudos to this, but about three years ago, we hired an outside marketing firm to really formalize what our mission, vision, values were were in our culture and ownership actually had nothing to do with it. They didn't participate in any of the meetings, didn't sit in on any of the conversations that our broader company had. And And intentionally so. Intentionally, correct. And it's crazy that the, the final outcome of that was exactly what I think any of us would have said had we been sitting there and having the foresight to do so and saying, look, we're growing at a pace that we've seen a lot of people, it can get pushed to the wayside and you can grow at a pace where your culture is not what it was. And we don't want that. We would rather be the size that we are today for forevermore if it meant sacrificing what our culture and values and beliefs are. And so that's been really fun to see those instilled in in all of our employees Mm -hmm. as we're continuing to go. It was fun to see the outcomes of that. And we did it intentionally because we wanted to see how well aligned Uh, What we thought the case was, it turned out to be the case, but that our employees and our team members and our leadership internally outside of family and ownership saw exactly and shared exactly what we had hoped and thought our mission and values and core values were. But it's pretty, really simple, whether in our business or whether it's in any business, the basic blocking and tackling of the secret sauce of success isn't all that complicated. You work hard, you do what's right, you treat people well. And the rest surely takes care of itself. Yeah, that's great. I just, it's the theme that I kind of see come up in these conversations. So as a follow-up, what are some of the challenges you guys think, whether they face you specifically in your family, but what are some challenges you see other business owners facing from a passing passing down or stewarding ownership, stewarding wealth? What are some challenges you see? Because you guys work with a lot of your clients are probably in that same boat and, and doing the same thing as trying to pass it on to the next generation, whether it's wealth or the business or whatever. Whatever it is. So what are some of the challenges you guys see facing families in your situation? I'll tackle it from a different angle, but 
You know, I think where we've seen it work really well okay. is in our business and in those that we witness and are a part of is where there is intentionality, where there's really good communication. And I'm not talking about just the, the operation side of things. I'm talking about the stewardship side of things okay. and talking about from a, an early age with family, whether they're involved in a what ends up being a family partnership that they're not actively involved in the day-to-day operations that feed that, but understanding where it came from and the why, and then understanding and respecting the responsibilities that go along with that, go along with that. And when that doesn't happen over time, and say there's a time horizon for every business, and when that time horizon reaches either because their industry is becoming obsolete or their portion of that industry is becoming obsolete or they don't have family members coming in and don't have an interest, and so there's a liquidity event, that's almost when it becomes even more critical and challenging to have that level of communication and expectation and not to just become consumers without appreciating and understanding. And you all see that in your business. And that's part of the great job you do in coaching as your clients that are in that situation. Yeah. The worst thing we see is, to your example, a liquidity event takes place and the family has never talked about wealth They've never talked about stewarding. They've never talked about what the goals are, what maybe grandma and grandpa did when they started the business or the reason for the liquidity event. That can blow up in your face. That's when you see that stat about by the third generation is 90% gone of the wealth created or whatever it is. So, no, I think you're spot on. The one thing on the Dillingham today, a little bit, and it's Dillingham of 20 years ago and 50 years ago as well, it fits. One of the things that I want to emphasize is one of the other secrets to our success, in addition to being our team members who help carry out our mission and and values and taking care of our clients every day, our clients themselves. Our clients have been a huge part of our success because many of them, and particularly in Enid in the early days, outgrew our capabilities. The complications and needs of their business outgrew and outpaced really where our core competencies were at as a firm. And they were very patient with us and encouraging of us to go out and seek those relationships beyond just a traditional insurance company relationship that you would think of and encouraged us to establish some of the global relationships in London and, and doing business with Lloyd's and at Bermuda and in Grand Cayman and looking at alternative risk and alternative ways to fund that risk besides just traditional insurance. And that has been as critical a part They're having that patience with us and giving us that encouragement has been as much a part of our success and the opportunities that we have today as anything, because today we can compete with any of the large international and national firms. There are certainly places that they have that are appropriate for them that would be appropriate over being with a large regional firm like ours. But in our core client area, we can compete and really can be much more relational, much more consultative, much more reactionary to their needs than what a large national firm can be. But I I totally give credit to our clients who outgrew us and brought us along with them, quite honestly. That's great. That's perfect. I do want to circle back to the Colorado ranching operation that you teased in the beginning because you guys clearly, I know we've talked a lot about stewarding ownership and wealth and stewarding just the relationships of the family, but this is also an entrepreneur story. And so your family clearly has the entrepreneurial spirit inside of it. So if you don't mind, we can wrap up with that Colorado ranching operation and just the entrepreneur spirit that you guys have. You bet. It goes hand in hand with some early day aviation pioneering spirit as well. Okay. 
our grandfather, who founded our firm in 1927, was always fascinated with the cattle business and ranching business. And he had already had a little bit of an itch. He had scratched successfully and then unsuccessfully in the (laughs) end with real estate, but he was always interested in ranching. And so he started buying in the very late thirties and early forties. He really didn't have a lot of cash flow at that point in time, but started buying some land that was fairly inexpensive in the Trinidad, Colorado area. Bought his first ranch, which was 7,500 acres or a little more than 7,500 acres for somewhere in the $12 an acre range. (laughs) Sight unseen, he went to (laughs) Lahana, Colorado, where Lahana Livestock was at the time and still is today under the name of Winter Livestock, which is a whole nother fun story. But he bought several rail car loads full of cattle from Lahana Livestock at the time. The manager of the livestock auction company helped him put together provisions, buy some horses, helped him hire a ranch manager and a cowpoke. And he had never, ever been to this ranch, never, ever been horseback and never been around cattle and drove them for eight days open range to a place. And mind you, this was in the late 30s and no GPS tools, no phone. And the ranch hand ended up being, uh, didn't speak any English and the ranch manager ended up being a drunk and it was just a colossal (laughs) deal. And that that didn't slow him down. And he ended up putting together over a period of time, a little over 110,000 acres that was all contiguous there in the Trinidad, Colorado area that's now part of the Kit Carson artillery range, about a million and a half acres. But that led to the family when the government was interested in in purchasing and they actually condemned but paid fair value for uh, at least the land side of it. They didn't give much consideration for the mineral side of it because there were no producing minerals at the time. Now, the sidebar, it's one of the largest known helium domes in North America, but that's another story for another day. (laughs) And so... The family started looking for a ranch in Oklahoma, a little closer to home, and they ended up buying property in southeastern Oklahoma by Okmulgee that was about 17 square miles. Pretty unusual for Oklahoma on a grid system, county road every mile. This particular piece of property to this day only has two county roads through it and 17 square miles. Wow. We sold a portion of that operation in 1997, and the rest of it was sold about three years ago. And now we're down to 2,000 acres in alfalfa in Grant County that we use more recreationally. But the real importance of that, other than the cool history and the story behind it, is my father and his brother, my uncle, my brothers and I and cousins and I, and then Lucas and his cousin and brother were all afforded the same thing. And I didn't appreciate it or really understand it at the time, but from the really about the day school was out until the day school started, we got shipped off to the ranch. And we would, in the early days, we would you know push mowers and trim things. And as we got a little older and stronger, we would build fences and start handling the cleaning out of the stalls and the corrals. And then getting eventually into the horse riding and the working the cattle and cutting hay and putting up hay and working 18-hour days. And our football coach never worried about us missing <laughs> two-a-days because we came back in better shape yeah. than anyone who had gone through two-a-days. But the, the real gift in that is that it taught us a work ethic and a value of what it meant to create things. And, and so I think it's really an important part of the entrepreneurial story, but it's also a part of the fiber of who we are that's afforded us the opportunity to have some success in other areas. Areas and Absolutely. really give us, and that's something that we hope we can continue on with for many years. So, if you need another ranch hand, 
I'm looking for hire in the summer. So there, is always, I miss, there are always projects. I that can was promise. always my high school and college years were spent on our family's ranch, but I digress. Zuma, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Did we leave anything out? Anything you guys want to add as we wrap up here? Dillingham related, family related? You know, I think uh started the business in 1927 still holds true today. Again, you work hard, you do what's right, you treat your people well, you give them opportunities to grow and really flourish and spread their wings, and you take good care of your customers. But it's pretty simple. But the other piece of that is giving back to the community and being involved. It's something that we were taught from all the generations that have been involved is a firm believer in not just being a taker, but being a giver and and giving back to the communities. And that doesn't mean just financially, although the financial stewardship of resources and giving back is an important part of it, but being really involved in helping make decisions and move things forward, whether it's in government or whether it's in philanthropy or other types of venues. We've all been very involved in various civic and community activities and as have our team members. And we think that's a critical piece of it. Very important. Lucas, anything you'd like to add as we wrap up here? One thing I might add that might be relevant, might not, but it's a question I get asked a lot. And why is your headquarters still in Enid? Okay. Why is that still important for you all, given that you have such a large presence in in Oklahoma City and in Tulsa? And I think it's pretty simple. It's back to where our roots are. We have such a phenomenal team and have for a very long time in Enid and now roughly 35 individuals in Enid that have probably some of the really desirable jobs in Enid. And we take that to heart. And like Chad was saying, giving back to the community, it's where we're from, where we grew up. And we always have a strong desire to be a part of that, the history and the growth of Enid. But that being said, we are still very actively growing in other areas and excited about that as well. There's on that point, if, if I might, there's there's been like every industry, tremendous consolidation within our industry and the price, the EBITDAs that are being paid, the multiples on EBITDA that are being paid are very attractive. And we get all those calls every day. But the, the funny thing is, or the, the wonderful thing is, every time a firm like ours gets gobbled up by a large national firm, it just creates more opportunity for us. We become more and more of a unicorn. More attractive. And there's a purpose for large national and international national firms and they really do good in their space and they're made up of a lot of really good people. But a lot of talent that served and grew up and and gained experience in those firms when they were firms like ours really have a desire to, they fit better, they thrive better in a family-oriented type of a business versus a big corporate structure. And the same holds true for some of the clients that they acquired that really feel like they're better served with a firm like ours. So the more consolidation there is, it just creates more and more opportunity for firms like ours and for our team members. And so all that to say, we're going to continue to grow very strategically, primarily organically in all of our areas. We have clients in 38 states and we have our core service offices in Oklahoma City. We're growing Tulsa, small office in Woodward, small sales office in Kansas City. But Enid and Oklahoma City will be our core growth areas. And We're proud of that. We can service a lot of our clients with back office service team members, accounting team members out of Enid just as easily as we can anywhere else. And so we are proud of that. And I'm glad you brought that up. 
It's a great point. Gentlemen, I really appreciate the time. This is a really fun conversation from all of us here at Full Sail. Just thank you for joining us. And I know all the listeners, whether they're entrepreneur, running a family business, or just want to listen, we'll take something away. So I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll do it again at some point in the future and get another update on the Dillingham family. Well, thank you. We're honored you'd have us and appreciate all that you all do. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Everybody have a good day. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, don't forget to review and subscribe to your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.